Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we are talking about the state of the Bucks. We're talking to Ty Windish, host of the Eurostep Podcast. Ty, how you doing today, and uh, how you feeling about the Bucks? I'm doing well, and I'm excited about the Bucks. You know, I think uh, a team that two years ago won a championship, last year lost to the eventual representative of the East in the finals, and hopes to be healthier this season, and you know, I think Media Day is a propaganda machine, right? But we're recording after Bucks Media Day, and the mission was successful. They got they got us really fired up about the season. So excited to be here and, and talk more Bucks with you guys. All right. Oh yeah, so Krishna. Krishna is here also producing. <laughs> uh, sorry about that, Krishna. Um, let's talk about I think the elephant in the room that kind of happened last year in the playoffs where Chris Middleton goes down and it's one of those things where when one of your top three players cornerstone players go down there's not a lot you can do uh it's pretty difficult but what did this team do to address their depth uh and how do you think that's going to play out this year Yeah, it's pretty interesting because I think the consensus is somewhere between boredom and dissatisfaction with what the Bucs did this offseason because most of what they did, most of the work was just keeping the same roster around, especially, you know, four pretty important players to the rotation, especially the three, the group of three that is Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton and Wesley Matthews, all of whom were really important for Milwaukee last year all retained West for one more year. He's just at that minimum contract part of his career. Pat Connaughton opts into his player option, which really shocked me. And then Bobby Portis um, signs just a new four-year deal, the most he could make uh, under the early bird rights, essentially. And Pat also tacked on two more years to an extension. So then, you know, they bring back someone like Javon Carter. They just brought back Jordan Wara, who didn't really factor into the playoff rotation, but they still valued that continuity. So I think a lot of what they did is being addressed as kind of running it back, which I think some people see as either not doing enough or boring. But I do think given how good the Bucks were, how much resources in terms of the cap and draft picks they have tied up in their current big three of Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday, there wasn't much room to get too splashy. And I think they probably went about things the right way. So I think obviously first they will hope that they are healthier because as you mentioned, there's not too many teams that are built to win a championship with one of the best three players out for the better part of a playoff run. And then the second thing is the two new players brought in. I think there's some internal development going on, like hope going on as well. But then drafting Marjan Bochamp, who we'll see how much he can contribute year one. And then signing Joe Ingles, who I think really, if he is able to return to some approximation of Joe Ingles that we've seen in years past, which is a huge question mark. But if he is, that playmaking boost could really help if someone like Chris, like Drew, has to miss some time and the Bucks just need a little more playmaking that's not from Giannis or one of the two other guys there in the big three. Obviously, if Giannis misses substantial time, that's probably all she wrote. They held on against Atlanta, but uh, most series, I think, especially in this year's East, missing Giannis is probably just it, which, I, again, it's... Not many teams are going to keep going if their best player goes out. So I think there's hope for more health, some internal development, and Ingles or Bochamp being able to step in and you know carry a little bit of offensive load to help everybody else out. 
You mentioned Giannis and his playmaking, and that was one thing he did up uh, last season. It's so hard when you're maybe the best player in the world to keep improving, uh, but that was something that really showed in the data, his versatility and uh, passing quality uh, took noticeable jumps. Uh, what did that look like on a night-to-night basis? Yeah, I think you really, you know, there. it's always hard because the players Giannis has been compared to for so long now, but I remember a couple of years ago, I wouldn't say arguing like I was arguing for it, but just having a discussion about like Giannis versus LeBron. And I think at this point, a lot of people, it's consensus that, that Giannis is now better just because, you know, LeBron is like 30, 38 years old. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's just, you can only be great for so long. And LeBron is still a great player, but it, it's, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a timeline thing, but it was the playmaking, right? That's the biggest difference between the two of them. And Giannis still isn't to where LeBron is, There's you know, probably a couple handfuls of guys in league history who are where LeBron is playmaking wise and feel for the game. But I think Giannis being able to control games altogether more, that's how you notice the playmaking. Giannis, younger Giannis, you know, would use his athleticism and his gifts and find himself with obvious, not obvious, but open passes to make the right plays to make just because he was able to leverage defenses to that extent where, okay, I draw this help defender. I pass to that guy. He shoots a three. This last year of Giannis was more of, I think a feel of the game thing where he is seeing plays before or as they develop and is making the pass as it develops versus, you know, drawing help and then kicking out, which is still a good play, but it's just levels to the playmaking. So I think his feel for the game, I think part of it too, as his mid range jumper, comes along. And I think that's probably the next big Giannis development is like that mid range, the post play, that kind of thing. He's just able to control the ball more and be that on ball superstar that there were so many questions about really prior to the net series in 21, that if, could he do that? Does he need to be Shaq, right? Does he need a Kobe? I think at this point, he's kind of able to do a bit of everything and he can be that apex superstar on the ball now too. Yeah, the data loves him. He is the uh, best player. So we have a, our playoff LeBron works differently because the sample sizes are so small. So we grab three-year windows uh, just to get the minutes up so it kind of stabilizes more. And he has the highest playoff LeBron in the trailing three seasons. So I really think that's a testament to just his all-around game developing. Like you said, the playmaking, um, obviously the scoring, just the sheer dominance. And uh, yeah, the data loves him, and he is just... Uh, to something else um drew holiday this is something where uh i really love our data for this because i was having a debate i think last week with tim we were we were discussing drew holiday's ranking versus some other players and i saw someone tweet his box score struggles in the playoffs the previous two seasons and they're pretty noticeable down ticks from where he is in the regular season however um this this episode is going to feature a lot of our playoff lebron stat because uh this team, obviously, the regular season doesn't really matter. It's all, it's all about, you know, the playoffs and trying to win another championship. Uh, Drew Holiday's three, uh, three-year playoff O-LeBron numbers are still very strong. Um, and, you know, so you know, we're so conditioned nowadays to just look at the box score and then immediately have reactions. But then when you look into the advanced metric on offense, his impact is still quite good. Um, what is, you know, kind of what have you seen and uh, what is your interpretation of that? Yeah, I think Drew kind of embodies the Bucks as a whole, and it, it all stems from Giannis. I think I just think Drew is is right there, kind of a similar thing where 
the offense can be ugly, but he just gets enough done, right? And I think it really one of the things that I think kind of explains this is he is just doing a lot of important scoring for the Bucks, even when his numbers aren't great. I think he's able to hit shots. I think you know every every Bucks fan at one point or another was frustrated with his offense in the Brooklyn series. But late in that series, he ends up hitting some crucial step-back jumpers. And I know now, like over the last year, his step-back three-point percentage is insane, one of the best in the NBA. So that's a shot that's come together for him. But I think his playmaking probably goes under the radar a lot. And I think you look at a lot of those bad box score games, and maybe he's 7 for 22 or 7 for 19 or whatever from the field. But there's often like 7, 8 assists in there too. And it's not like you know Chris Paul point got assists where – you know, cross-court crazy passes. But he's a guy who I think he gets into the meat of the defense so well, even if he can struggle to finish from there, thanks to his strength and, and ball handling, that he's able to help the offense achieve success, even if his own numbers aren't great. I think that's the kind of player he is and the impact that he has. And sometimes that's direct assist. Sometimes that may just be making life easier on someone else. So I'm not shocked, although I would, I would have been – I would have been – oh, no. Okay, this makes sense. I guess it if he is top 10 in total playoff LeBron in the last three years, that makes sense to me because of the defense. If yeah, he the, was an offense, I would have been pretty surprised. But the defense certainly helps level that out a lot too. Yeah, he's obviously one of the the stronger defensive guards in the league. And, yeah, his both his regular season and playoff uh, LeBron are, are aided heavily by his strong defensive numbers. Sure. Um Let's talk about Chris Middleton, kind of the third guy here in the uh, the, the Milwaukee Big Three. Um, he he's a player that I want to be honest. I haven't seen as much as as Holiday and Giannis, um, just in tape study. And he seems like a guy where he's a strong player. He's a two way player. Uh, but one of the things that has always made it difficult for me to kind of gauge him is his 2020 year was just supernova in the data where he just went absolutely berserk. And it's sort of been me trying to figure out, you know, was the that the outlier year? Was that just everything coming together? Was it, you know, there could be a, a, a myriad of things, especially when you're not seeing him all the time. Uh, what What is going on with Chris Middleton and how do you, uh, kind of rationalize or wait that crazy 2020 season. Yeah, I think it's, I wonder how much of that is that Bucks team that for now, at least was the last Bucks team that really went all out. And I think it was a combination of, you know, Chris continuing to play well, as well as it was still a team that really wanted to win in the regular season. And there were less confounding factors that were affecting statistics so you know he obviously that's the last year before if it's 1920 right that's the last year before drew holiday comes in so that is a substantial addition in terms of someone else who's taking shots and scoring points and and doing things offensively so i think that was the last year where chris was the undisputed number two there with Giannis as number one that bucks team was absolutely wrecking the league before it shut down um, and I think, you know, never really looked the same in the bubble, never found the rhythm. But that regular season Bucks team, they were on pace to potentially break the, I think it would have been Milwaukee's single season win record. They were on pace to challenge that. So that team was really on quite a roll and just ran into, you know, I think the the bubble did not suit them well. And they ran into a team really poised to take advantage of, you know, spacing concerns and everything else. And Giannis got hurt in that series. But, you know, I think Chris... 
I don't know how much he's changed. It may just be that he's not doing so much all the time. It's such the Bucks big three is such an interesting thing. Like I think Bucks fans will always feel like Chris and Drew are underrated nationally. And they usually do come in pretty low on these top 100 lists because, you know, they, they both split some on offense where I think, you know, if it was just one of them in the honest, they'd probably get more acclaim and, and their stats would make look better, but the team would be worse. And they all have just kind of these strange quirks about their game. So Chris's handle can be so questionable, but his shot making from anywhere, no matter how tightly he's defended, is undeniable. And that was certainly on display as they won the championship and certainly missed when they lost to Boston. So I think Chris has one of the funkier games of any star level NBA player in terms of, you know, his skill set, what he can and can't do. But he's still good enough and a good enough compliment on this team that he can really excel when the Bucks are rolling. It'll be interesting to see if when he gets healthy this season, how the advanced stats look, because I do think this Bucks team is poised to, even with a strong East, look really dominant in the regular season if they can stay healthier than last the last two seasons, really. Who is more valuable to the team, Holiday or Middleton? Yeah, it's a tough question. I mean, I think really that they need both until until someone else steps up and is able to, you know, be be closer to that third best player. I, I just think it'd be really hard for them to go on an extended run without either. Uh, Rohan and I on the Eurostep uh, actually argued about this recently, but I think it's Drew because of the load he carries defensively as well. Chris, who I know has had some, he had a reputation as a three and D player. I think probably now that reputation is stronger than the actual results most of the time. Last regular season, I test wise did not think his defense was very good. They don't ask him to do very much defensively. Part of that is because they do have Drew and Wes Matthews on the team, plus Giannis and Brooke Lopez, just a lot of guys who can defend well. Um, but I think Drew's impact defensively and still doing a lot offensively, right? Like I think Chris is better offensively, but I think the difference is smaller on offense than it is on defense. So I think it's Drew, but I really do think that three-man group, until they find some way to you know, replace one of those guys, either through someone new coming in or someone really developing, I think they're all are sort of reliant on each other to some extent. Yeah, we have uh, we have defensive roles here at Basketball Index, and we have Drew Holiday in the point of attack role, and we have Chris Middleton throughout his career just kind of bouncing, for the last few years at least, bouncing between helper and low activity. Um, yeah. and you can still, you can still be beneficial to a defense in the low activity role, but you just are, you are just doing less. You are moving less. You're being involved less. Um, so I think that's a good point. Um, last guy, uh, a guy I, I really, really like, um, Brooke Lopez. He missed almost all of last year. Uh, I feel like the, the, the past few years, him and Giannis have formed a super formidable rim protection combo. Uh, how worrisome is that injury missing almost a whole year? And he is aging. This will be his age 34 season. Yeah, it's, it's definitely worrisome. I think it was more worrisome before we saw him come back. And I do think the Brook we saw was probably slower, but given that he was always pretty glacial in his Bucks career, I, I don't know if he was noticeably slower. I thought when he returned late last season against the Jazz, I think it was in March, he looked more or less like the Brook of old. Offensively, it took him some time to get acclimated, but that's okay. As you mentioned, he's there for defense, and the Bucks clearly missed his rim protection ability. And I still think as long as he's able to play, I imagine he'll still be pretty good, but there has to be a concern of 
you know, is there another injury coming or is the the true fall off coming, especially after that last injury? And right now it's just TBD. I feel good about him for the next year, that the remainder of his contract. I do think the Bucs are going to need to find some sort of other center option because I do believe this team likes to play big when they can. And I still think that generally the Bucs are at the advantage in any series if they're able to play Brooke Lopez because I think Giannis and Brooke, that, that front-line defense, they're just so good at taking away the rim. And it's just so hard, even if their offense gets clunky, which it probably will, it's just so hard to outscore them with Giannis doing what he does offensively and taking away the rim and everything around it defensively. So, you know, I, I think Brooke is still crucial to what they do and a really important player. Again, I think someone who it's just really hard to capture in a league-wide sense how important he is and how much he impacts winning. I think the Bucks floundering for a lot of the regular season was directly tied to not having him and having to rely on a bunch of different centers they brought in just to, just to more or less soak up minutes there um, behind Bobby and Giannis, who was the – the backup starting front court, basically. So it's worrisome, but I think as long as he's able to still play and not have a major injury, he's got at least one more great defensive season. And I think that is really what the Bucs have built a lot of their success over the last four, five years here on. Yeah, he, he's just a player I feel like, uh, I feel like when you slot him into, I mean, he's, I guess he's a little bit older now, but the last few years when you slot him in as the fourth best player on a team, um, I feel like that, the defensive ability, the rim protection is just is really strong. Uh, Bobby Portis, this is a player that I think I bring up on every single podcast here at Basketball Index. Um, he's someone with, again, uh, good playoff uh, LeBron data, good on the defensive side. And I feel like he's turned himself into one of the top role players in the league the last few years, uh, became a really strong shooter. Uh, back-to-back years with uh, we have catch-and-shoot three-point shot-making uh, stat, and he's in the 90th percentile or higher the last two years. Um, what kind of – I feel like this is the type of guy that brings – I mean, there's obvious things that he does bring, like the three-point shooting, but he seems like a hidden value guy. He He's a guy when I watch him uh, multiple games, I it's like, you know, little things. There's just – it's – things that are hard to quantify into like the big buckets that we sometimes use to evaluate players. But uh, talk a little bit about him because I absolutely love his game. Yeah, I think the important thing with Bobby is, and he knows this and he, this was actually a big media day story. He talked about this uh, during his availability on Sunday. He needs to not hesitate to shoot and to be ready to be chased off the line. So he is, an excellent, especially from the corners, three-point shooter, but he can take a while to release and he can get, he can sometimes pass up shots he shouldn't. And that's the funny thing you noted here. I certainly agree the the data with the data on this one too. Defense was not his problem against Boston. Offense was his problem. Like the Celtics, as good as they are, their wing players, they did not play him off the floor defensively. Their defense, just he wasn't comfortable. He wasn't able to have the impact that he should have had with his offensive gifts. I think some of that certainly is he, like everyone, had to do more with Chris out. I think that's one of the the non-obvious impacts of losing someone like Chris Middleton is what it does, moving everyone else up, everyone below him up a spot on the totem pole of offense or whatever. But I think Bobby knows he needs to really let fly, and I think – Luckily for for him and the Bucks' sake, his teammate Pat Connaughton is someone who's really improved on this in his career with the Bucks. Pat 
it was kind of a story last year. I mean, it was really in Milwaukee. I don't know how much it got out, but he really mastered the catch high, release high, and just like instantly taking in and releasing the the shot when he's open on the perimeter, which is, you know, being able to be a 3 and D player who not just shooting, but also, you know, if the closeout's too hard, you're able to take it to the rim. All, all of those like perimeter role player things are just musts on a team with Giannis. You just need to be ready and capable. You need to provide that gravity, that spacing, and you need to know what to do with the ball when it gets there. Because even if you are a good three-point shooter, at a certain point in the playoffs, teams are going to say, you know what, we're going to make you do it rather than let Giannis go against single coverage. Like we we trust Giannis will beat us more often than the Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis's of the world. So I think the key for Bobby, maybe this one, this might not be something that bears out in the metrics, but if he can just release a little faster and just be more ready to make those decisions when he does get the ball, that could be huge for him and the Bucks and make them much harder to stop when we do reach the playoffs, which you're right. You said it earlier. That's what this team is focused about. The regular season will be fun, but everyone knows this Bucks team is going to be measured on what they do in April, May, June, not before that. So uh, looking ahead to the playoffs, the Bucks have made a midseason move the last two years, uh, Ibaka last year and P.J. Tucker the year before. Um, do you anticipate they're going to try to make another move? Who, like who could they target? Um, and would somebody like Crowder fit with the Bucks? Um, he's available now. So, Yeah, we, we love the idea of them getting Jay Crowder. Um, I think that would be – he's just – I don't know if he solves anything particularly for them. Like he's, you know, I think their biggest need probably is like more, more shot creation off the bench. That's not really Jay Crowder's thing, but on the other hand, I don't think you can have enough players who you sort of trust to hit shots, right? Jay's very streaky, but you still trust him. And he's been, he's been a big offensive contributor uh, role player wise in playoff games and certainly defensively like that toughness. That's, you know, they missed that when they lost PJ. And I think they're trying to, you know, overcome it in a group sense, but I think adding someone like that would be great. I, I don't know if they're going to make a midseason move this year. It, they usually do. You're right to point that out. I do think they're very happy with this group they've assembled, and it would only make sense to me if it was basically a consolidation trade. Because I think you look at this rotation, and it's like they're they're not super deep with guys you know are going to be good, but they have multiple options at most positions where you're, I think you can bank on, you know, one of these three wing players you're going to feel good about by the end of the season, one of these two guards. So if they were able to consolidate some of that back end depth into a player that you felt more confident about in the playoffs, that might make sense to me, but I don't think they're going to be that pressed just because, you know, they're going to have guys like Bochamp who will struggle to even play minutes when the team is fully healthy, I think. And it's just, I, I don't know what exactly they would need to address. If anything, it might be caused by an injury or by something like Chris's injury lingering or something like that. But I, I think it's less likely than in years past that they make that move. Although John Horst does love to add a veteran wing going all the way back to Nikola Miritich at the trade deadline when he can. So uh, what would the uh, trade for, like, what would a potential trade for Crowder be? Just wondering from a Caps per perspective. Yeah, almost all of their trades, like the the default Bucks package right now is Grayson Allen and George Hill. 
Um, if things don't work out with Ingles by the deadline, that could be another six million that that is interesting. And we actually explored, you know, maybe if you really want to keep Grayson Allen. And again, I don't know if a lot of these may need to be a three teamer. Like I don't know how interested the Suns are in Grayson Allen and George Hill. I think they probably have enough. You know, they they wouldn't want I think a bigger player back for Jay because that's they're kind of missing that and they could use more size. It feels like to me. But um, before he signed like a Jordan Wara side and trade, if they were really high on him, now he's signed his deal. So that that would have to wait until closer to the deadline. But I, Grayson and Hill and then like second round picks is really their offer. So I don't know if they'd actually get in there for Crowder. They can trade their 29 first, but I don't know. You know, it's so long from now. Phoenix really shouldn't worry, be that interested in a 29 first. And also it's the only first the Bucks, excuse me, can trade for quite a while. So that's really putting all the chips in for Jay Crowder. So I think the the best case scenario is pretty obvious with this team. They're obviously one of the top teams in the league. They they roll, they win the championship. Uh, I'm going to ask you something that's not as fun. Uh, give me a worst case scenario for this team. And how do you think that plays out? Yeah, I think, you know, I certainly not one I expect to see. But I think the true worst case is... Uh, Chris continues to struggle with just the variety of nagging injuries that he has, right? He, you know, he, he slips basically and, and misses all the rest of the playoff run during the Bulls series. Then he has the wrist thing that he was dealing with at the time. Um, you know, if he continues to miss big stretches of play and then it would pretty much be like some of their other older players just clearly regressing, which again, there's, I don't think there's any basis to believe this, but like if Drew takes a half step back, Brooke Lopez looks old, then suddenly you get to a place where there's just clearly not enough around the honest. I think that is I, I think it's not likely this year. I think we could end up in a some something of this kind of situation, like maybe two years from now. And Chris could hit free agency before then. So that that'll have to be tackled in time. But I think it's you know, I think the Bucks are obviously aware at some point if they're going to continue contending with the honest, they're going to need to pivot. Chris and Drew to two younger players who are able to fill those roles. Otherwise, you know, they're, they're just going to age. They're, they're older than Giannis, right? They're like five-ish years older. So having that pivot point or inflection point come sooner than they're able to really get ahead of it, I think that's probably the worst case, both because it could sink them this year and it puts you in, you know, I don't know if precarious is the right word, but certainly a spot that requires a lot of urgency this summer, which it, I, I think the expectation generally, at least my expectation, is this core should still get be able to give you competing for like two to three years-ish, and then you can figure out some of those hard questions as they come up. All right, Ty, thank you for getting us up to speed on the state of the Bucks. Uh, what is your Twitter handle? It is uh, at Ty Windish. All right. And if you want to hear more Bucks talk, you can check out the Eurostep podcast. Uh, we will probably be talking to you again uh, this year because the Bucks are obviously going to be in contention. They're a very fun, and interesting team with uh, their eye on the prize. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. My name is Taylor. We got Krishna producing and we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index podcast. <laughs>